Hello and welcome to the Herb Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Francis Gilles. He's a specialist on security, energy, and political trends in North Africa and the Western Mediterranean, and an associate senior researcher at the Barcelona Center for International Affairs. From 1981 to 1995, he was a North Africa correspondent for the Financial Times and has written for numerous publications, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Le Monde, and El Pais. Today, we focus on Morocco and Algeria. Francis, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with Algeria. What is the situation today in Algeria? Well, in political terms, uh, the, the vast movement of popular protest against the system, the Hirak, for the moment has been quashed by quite harsh measures, though no very little or no killing, to be true. Um, and therefore, the Hirak no longer exists. The, the COVID-19 crisis helped the authorities close the frontiers of the country, which still remain by and large closed, and to install curfews and make it extremely difficult uh, to demonstrate. And then by flooding Algiers a few, two months ago with police and military arresting everybody, even for a few hours, that actually stopped the Hirak movement, it was also clear that the Hirak had no wish to have violence, although violence was exercised against it by arrests, by condemnation to prison terms, by, in some cases, beatings, if not torture. But the Hirak absolutely refused to fall into the trap of provocation. Uh, so, the meanwhile, the regime has had uh, general elections a few months ago in which 80-85% of those entitled to vote didn't vote. They've got a new government and President Tebboune seems to be in better health than six months ago. But the new government headed by the former Minister of Finance and Governor of the Central Bank is run by a man, Tebboune, who is so incompetent uh, that even within the system they recognise this man rose through the banking system for reasons unknown, became a very incompetent governor of the central bank, minister of finance. And in the last six months, furthermore, Algeria has stopped publishing the, the government all kinds of official statistics, which are part and parcel of modern government. Uh, so we are in a situation uh, politically of a complete freeze that does not mean that everything is not working. Uh, if you look at foreign affairs, Algeria has lost a lot of its influence in Libya. But a few weeks ago, the president appointed uh, Ramtan Lamamra, who was foreign minister in the last few years of Bouteflika, who is a chip off the block of the old Algerian diplomatic school, who is an extremely clever and wise diplomat, and he is a man who, as the French withdraw slowly their troops from Mali, is probably best placed to juggle Russian, American and French interests with Mali, or in the Sahel more broadly. So that is a plus, because a man of that calibre actually matters at the moment. The other front, apart from foreign affairs, where Algeria has not done too badly, is on the front of oil and gas revenues. 
because in the first five months of 2021, the rebound of uh, export earnings for the oil company, the national oil company, Sonatrack, was 45%. And if this increase, this trend continues, that means uh, the export uh, income for this year would be $30 billion. Furthermore, the company made 18 new discoveries last year. This is very important because it's made it possible to update the volume of hydrocarbons in place, which are today, as of speaking, two and a half times larger than those known in 2019. So the news on the oil and gas front, despite all the turmoil of switching ministers, heads of company, hunting corruption and so on, the news on the oil and gas front is actually much better than many people might have feared. Now, now you have said that the, the picture has improved uh, because of the revenues coming from oil and gas. But overall, what is the economic situation for the Algerian people? Is it improving as well? No, the situation for the Algerian people is not improving. Uh, there has been a rise in unemployment. Uh, the private sector finds it extremely difficult to operate with all this uncertainty, plus COVID, plus the lack of travel. So a lot of companies are finding it very difficult to keep going. And it doesn't appear that any new jobs are being created. So in a way, uh, one one's just... <laughs> Uh, the situation is sort of on hold, and it's and reading the economic situation is made all the more difficult by the fact that since January, the Algerian government has stopped publishing, making public all kinds of statistics, which most governments in the world make public, not just statistics re related to exter the external position of the company, but internal statistics. So we are in a big fog, and it is very difficult to estimate uh, the, uh, the, what is really going on, added to which the repression on the press is fiercer than at any time in the last 25 years. And therefore, we just don't know. We just don't know. You mentioned the Hirak as a movement. It's failed. I mean, it did succeed in getting rid of Bouteflika, but beyond that, is it a spent force now? Well, whether in its, in its present incarnation may be, the Hirak never managed to get itself leaders, let alone a program. But then I don't think they ever sought to, because as soon as leading voices emerged in 19, 2019, uh, be they lawyers, journalists, human rights activists, they were promptly locked up. And therefore, it was very difficult to, it was virtually impossible to have a platform, to build a platform, let alone the fact that it would have been very difficult to build a platform between so many diverging voices. Because don't forget that the Islamists demonstrated as much as the vast majority of young Algerians who were not Islamists, who were dressed in modern clothes and showed no inclination for a theocratic state. So I would say that for the moment the Hirak has been quelled, 
The question is when a social movement of such force re-emerges, uh, that's an open question because the problems haven't gone away. The aspiration to liberty hasn't gone away. Uh, what is not in doubt is that the more Algeria feels threatened on its borders, be it uh, Morocco, be it uh, the French presence in Mali, be it uh, what's going on in Libya, the less likely the generals are to loosen the tight rein, the tight leash they hold the country on. Now, you mentioned President Taboon, a man that most Algerians regard as, what, very much a part of the, the old system. No, he was a former, uh, he was a former uh, minister and uh, governor of different provinces in Algeria. But he was a man who was very much part of the system. He never shone because of any particular achievement or anything like that. And in many ways, he is a front for the military. It's the military and the security people who hold Algeria. And when you look at the cabinet, the level of incompetence of the average minister in Algeria is at an all-time high. Uh, it just makes you wonder what these people really do. You know, they're not competent. The ranks of the senior civil service have been depleted in the last 20 years by retirement, death, and also the placing of uh, Bouteflika Bogeyman at many important jobs. So the civil service of Algeria, which used to be of quite good quality 30 years ago, uh, today, what is left? Very difficult to say. Certainly not what we had 20, 30 years ago. Next door neighbour. Morocco, uh, a stronger economy, more capably governed under King Mohammed VI, but under closest scrutiny, does that portrait hold up? Well, Morocco is governed in a more coherent fashion, there is absolutely no doubt. Morocco has had a policy of uh, diversifying its exports into Africa, notably because it was seeking the support of black African countries for its position in the organization of African unity, the African Union on the Western Sahara. But the social disparities in Morocco remain as great as they ever were. Uh, whether we trust the official figures of COVID deaths is anybody's guess. Uh, Morocco has been quite has taken quite aggressive stances in the Western Sahara uh, at the turn of the year, and more recently in uh, Ceuta, the Spanish enclave on the north coast of Morocco, by getting tens of thousands of young Moroccans to cross into Ceuta, thus causing a major crisis with Ceuta. So all this um, all this posturing is the result of President, former President Donald Trump's decision to recognize Moroccan sovereignty on the Western Sahara. Uh, that decision, however, endorsed by the Biden administration, which does not want to compromise Morocco's recognition of Israel, uh, nonetheless is unlikely to be followed by uh, the European powers because uh, I don't think Spain and France and Germany could ever envisage 
to openly defy the United Nations. And indeed, in recent months, there's been a major diplomatic crisis with Germany. Morocco's ambassador to Germany has been withdrawn because the Germans refused to follow the American decision to recognize Moroccan sovereignty in the Western Sahara. Now we've got the Pegasus affair and how this is going to play out, anybody, nobody knows really. So Morocco is in a, it looks to be in a more comfortable position, but I think that one of the delusions of the Moroccan position is that Morocco seems to fancy itself as having replaced the Algeria of the 1970s and 80s as the major regional power. Now, in the late 70s and 80s, Algeria was the third world leader. It helped liberate the U.S. hostages in Iran. It played an important role in OPEC. It was a major middle-ranking power. Those times are gone for Algeria. But the idea that Morocco might replace Algeria as the most influential power in northwest Africa will run up against three things, the sheer size of Algeria, the fact that it still has a diplomacy, however weakened, but in, but uh, strengthened by the appointment of Mr. Lamamra. It has by far the major army in the area, and it has oil and gas. And even if oil and gas resources have not been managed particularly well in the last 10, 15 years, as I pointed out uh, earlier, the uh, the discoveries of the last uh, year have uh, updated the volumes of hydrocarbons in place to two and a half times larger than what was known in 2019. So Algeria has plenty of reserves of oil and gas. And therefore, I think the Moroccans are so obsessed with the Western Sahara uh, that maybe they're overplaying their hand a bit at any rate. I doubt whether they would go to war with Algeria. This seems to me most unlikely, though accidents can happen. And as for COVID, one has to point out that this has dealt a body blow to the Moroccan economy where tourism is concerned. And this is no mean consideration. View the number of jobs that tourism brings to Morocco, not least at the luxury end of the market. So Morocco is maybe not in quite as good a shape as it appears. Now, you mentioned the, the Western Sahara. Um, of course, Donald Trump and his transactional view of, of, of managing things uh, effectively signed it over to Morocco. But I'm just wondering, in terms of Algeria's presence and prestige, how damaging is that, that uh, uh, the Western Sahara de facto now has been, uh, at least by the Americans, acknowledged as, as part of Morocco? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's damaging, but the problem is you cannot... The, the, the strength of Algeria is that you can't undo the United Nations, which considers the Western Sahara to be a major issue which is not solved in international law. Later this year, the European Court of Justice is due... Uh, in, a, in, in a judgment to decide who represents the Western Sahara people. Now, this is linked to all kinds of uh, EU commercial agreements on fishing, etc., etc., etc. If the European Court of Justice decides that the Polisario Front represents the Western Sahara and not the Moroccan crown, 
this is going to cause a major crisis between Europe and Morocco. So as long as the problem is not settled in law, the Moroccans will have to continue spending a huge amount of money, of diplomatic effort, of military effort to fight their position. And in the African Union, admittedly, the number of countries which, which recognises the Western Sahara fluctuate, because it's all a question of money. If Morocco pays one country or two countries a bit more money, they disrecognise the Western Sahara. Having said that, more than half of them do recognise the Western Sahara uh, as an independent state. And this includes uh, South Africa, which is a heavyweight diplomatically. So we are, we, in a sense, uh, the Moroccans are kicking the can down the street, but the problem will never be solved until and unless, which looks unlikely today, Rabat decides it has to give something to get something. There's no sign of this at the moment, quite the reverse. There's a lot of military noises and insults and withdrawing of ambassadors. We've been here before. I personally would doubt that they would go to war, but then, you know, mistakes happen. Uh, but what many people outside uh, Algeria do not appreciate enough is that for the Algerian high command, Morocco is not the main uh, enemy. The main worry of the Algerian high command is the interference of Western powers, indeed the Gulf or anybody else, in the region. Hence their very great unhappiness about uh, Libya, about the French growing French presence in in, in Niger and Mali, that's the real worry of the Algerian regime. The other concern is to guarantee the stability of Tunisia. So the story which I've been covering since 1975, so that's 46 years, looks as if it's going to continue. You spoke a little bit about uh, the repression of journalists in, in Algeria I mean, and, and Morocco. They've both come down very hard on not just journalists, but critics in general. Uh, they're being charged on a whole range of things, very similar to what's going on in the Gulf and, and in Egypt, where criticism is treated almost as an act of terror. Uh, how concerned are you about it, and, and how pervasive is the suppression of free speech in Algeria and Morocco? Well, um, the, the crackdown has been very harsh. And I think the harshness is, it comes from the fact that a number of these criticisms were very well aimed. It was a younger generation of journalists. They showed themselves to be very savvy politically. In Morocco, they questioned the monarchy for the first time ever. In Algeria, uh, the difficulty comes from the fact that the journalists who, who speak out are well informed uh, they have good connections with Europe, which, of course, or America, which the authorities do not like. And also, when you look at some of these journalists in both countries, they are, in my, to my, my way of thinking, they're, they're more astute in their commentaries on Europe than the European journalists are on their comments on North Africa. There's a whole new generation of journalists who speak English, who are accustomed to the net, who've travelled, who understand the geopolitics of the region much better than the previous generation did. And that is why they're so feared. In Morocco, 
King Hassan loosened the strings of the media in 1990. Never has repression been so fierce in Morocco. You have to go back to the 70s and the 80s to find such fierce repression. So if there's such fierce repression, clearly that means that the monarchy thinks these criticisms matter. And social media are favorite means. Uh, the same in Algeria. As we saw during the Hirak, many observers outside were amazed about these huge crowds of young men and women with wonderful slogans, including in English and in Spanish. And somehow, because of the condescension many Europeans have towards North Africans, they just couldn't believe in the West in general that these young Maghrebis, men and women, were so savvy, were so sophisticated that the women were not wearing a veil. And the same goes in Tunisia. So we have a real disconnect between what the outside world uh, sees and what is the reality. In Algeria, the disconnect is all the greater because the authorities give very, very few visas to visiting journalists. So by keeping the country under lock and key, uh, basically, the Algerian regime has ensured that, one, that outside media do not talk about Algeria. In the case of Morocco, it's different because the Moroccans played a very clever PR game over 20, 30 years. So their image is better than the reality. The difficulty for Morocco is what happens if that image suddenly cracks. And this is the whole question which is posed by the developing Pegasus story. What happens if it is shown that the, Israel, that the Moroccans are using, uh, are using this uh, Israeli uh, software to spy? Well, they're spying on people who are favorable to Western Saharans in Europe. That we know they're harassing them. But what happens if it's confirmed that they're spying on President Macron? Uh, this could lead to damage. This could lead to lack of confidence in Europe, on Morocco, which is there, but which is not often expressed publicly. Well, now you've mentioned France, the former colonial master for both countries. What influence do the French have today and, and how do Morocco and Algeria play their cards in relation to their former colonial master? Well, the, the French ruling class fell in love, as one senior advisor to Mitterrand put it to me years ago, with the Moroccan ruling class in the 70s uh, and has never looked back. Uh, the Moroccans have used the uh, town of Marrakech as a, a honey trap where many French politicians spend their weekends or holidays. The monarchy is viewed as reformist. Morocco is viewed as tolerant, more open towards Jews. The Algerians, of course, irrespective of the current regime, which is very repressive, and um, the Algerians have paid the price of three things. One, the War of Independence, still, which rankles with a number of French, uh, senior French politicians. And then the strong support Algeria gave, gave to the Palestinian cause in the 60s and 70s, including uh, training um, uh, Fatah guerrillas in the 70s and 80s, um, and it's generally criticizing of, of uh, American and European or French positions on a number of issues related to the third world. So Algeria is viewed as a power which is not friendly. 
Um, in recent years, Algeria has become a very conservative country and has lost that aura. Uh, but for many French politicians and media who don't have access to Algeria, in a way they fantasize about Algeria. So I once wrote a piece called Algeria is a Black Box of French History. And all this is due to the old colonial links. I mean, the history of France and Algeria and the history of France and Morocco are completely different. And the balance tilted under Giscard d'Estaing very strongly in favor of Morocco, where it has remained ever since. And when it comes to the Hirak, the French or the Europeans, for that matter, have given no encouragement, no support. They denounce the Chinese, the Iranians, the Russians for their alleged violations of human rights, but not one word of comfort to the Hirak, as if democracy in North Africa didn't matter, as if a more accountable in Algeria, a government in Algeria did not matter to the future of European uh, North African relations. And I think that this is where the Europeans are at fault because one way or the other, these popular movements will not go away. Whether they succeed one day in bringing democracy is an open question. But what is not in doubt is that all the region, all the people of the region, from the humblest person, wants a government which is more accountable and less corrupt. That is not in doubt at all. Finally, Francis, uh, jihadist uprisings in the neighborhood principally the Sahal countries, what sort of threat does that pose for both Algeria and Morocco? I would not call it a jihadist uprising. Um, I spoke recently in Paris with one of the most knowledgeable French uh, observers of that region. It's a very complex fight due to old tribal fights, fights between settlers and uh, and nomads, climate change is making things worse. And then don't forget that after independence in the early 60s, France ensured that all the region had dictators friendly to it, none other more than the leader of Chad, who was killed uh, recently, and who ran a mercenary army, which he offered all around Africa. So the what's going on is in the Sahel basically uh, in Mali, it's a breakdown of the state. The state never paid much attention to the north. The Mali government, Mali is a semi-failed state. And I would argue that a number of these states are semi-failed. I mean, Idris Djezi in, uh, in, uh, in Chad was a ruthless military dictator. And his clan and his army and his son who succeeded him treat the country as their own personal property. So when conflicts arise, whipped up by the links with al-Qaeda, there's no doubt that jihadism has become, to me, at 76, a bit what communism was 40, 50 years ago. You know that any protest movement in Western Europe worth its salt, at least in France, Germany or Italy, they were communists because that was the fashion of the day. So now they're all jihadists, but... How do we know who's a jihadist, who's not a jihadist? The infighting between people affiliated with ISIS and Al-Qaeda is extremely difficult to untangle from outside. And I suspect when listening to French officers on Mali as the French are about to withdraw, you've had some French officers or retired officers speaking, 
it's an impossible fight because nobody knows who's fighting who. And meanwhile, a lot of weapons have been introduced. And let us never forget that Saudi Arabia spent tens of billions of dollars spreading uh, its creed of Wahhabi Islam across the region after 1979. So we're paying the price of a very, very complex situation, which I would not reduce to jihadism for Algeria. The main purpose is to secure its own frontiers. So its new constitution officially allows the Algerian army to cross over, cross the border if the president so orders. But in any case, the Algerian army already did this, but the new constitution gives it more legitimacy. But Algeria will use its security forces, its army, if and when it feels its security is at risk on its very long and very difficult to defend southern border and on its border with Libya, uh, exactly as it will collaborate very closely with Tunisia, as it's done since 2011. The collaboration, the cooperation between Tunisian and Algerian security forces has been exemplary, and it is certainly for Tunisia a major factor of guarantee of stability for the country in terms of jihadism. And uh, Morocco, uh, does the instability in these Sahel countries, uh, principally Chad and Mali, does that not pose a threat to Morocco? Well, no, not really, because the, self, the, the Western Sahara is a self-contained problem in a way. Uh, the, the, the Moroccans have often claimed that there's infiltration of jihadist into the Polisario camps. This has never been proved. Morocco broke off relations with Iran last year, I think, claiming Iranian influence, but that was to please Saudi Arabia. It had nothing to do with reality. The Moroccans have never come up with any proof of serious uh, uh, Al-Qaeda or ISIS infiltration in Polisario camps, quite apart from the fact that I don't see how Algeria would possibly permit such a thing to happen. So I think that, you know, I think that's uh, all that bluster um, no, for the, the Moroccan system, I think, is reasonably stable. The problem is that it's spending all its diplomatic energy on defending its position in the Western Sahara. So America, good, that was, a, that was great. But at the end of the day, if Morocco recognizes Israel, then, so what? You know, the answer is, so what? Okay, they recognize Israel. How many Israels can go and set up businesses in Morocco? Probably a few. Uh, Israeli security can play a role. But as I say, the whole way the Pegasus affair unfolds and the extent of complicity or non-complicity between the Moroccan leaders and uh, the Israeli leaders inspiring people in Europe and elsewhere, I, I personally, I don't have a view because all this is very new. But it it could prove uncomfortable for Moroccan. It could prove uncomfortable because if it's proved that the spying of Monsieur Macron comes from Rabat, well, the French may have second thoughts about exactly how reliable Morocco is unless the French find it normal to be spied upon by Israeli software based in Morocco. Hmm. Well, um, the Pegasus story is one that I suspect will run and run and uh, as you suggest, uh, may well cause a headache or two for the Moroccans and uh, I think for a few other people as well. In the meantime, 
Francis, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Herb Digest podcast. My guest today was Francis Giles, an associate senior researcher at the Barcelona Center for International Affairs. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to ArabDigest.org. If you're a student, we have a new rate of £10 a month or £100 per year. And for academics and retirees, we're now offering a rate that amounts to a 70% discount. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. Sign up to the free trial. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest, essential reading from independent sources.